0: Good morning, it was almost four decades ago, I was at church on a Sunday night and I had messed up every important relationship in my life and there across the church was a woman in Jordache jeans, permed hair, white and pink blouse and I thought that girl's out of my league. And she is and was. It was Mona. And it took me a little while because I was so uh a little nervous. I'd messed up enough in my life. And so we started to talk, and and what I was enamored by is how alive she was. I mean she was just, I mean, she was just alive with she would see the colors and She would talk about the the weather, and she'd talk about stuff, and when she did, it was like, there's a real person in here. Good thing she doesn't know that there's not much of one in here. And and we started dating, and eventually, before she figured out what was going on, we got married. And uh, I married a wild pony. And I spent the first 15 years of our marriage trying to tame her because she scared me. She was, she was more than I could handle. She was more than I could control. Uh, she was more than, well, it scared me. And in that fear, I decided what I needed to do is tame her and make that wild pony into a barn horse that I, could, that I could control and say, now, here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to do. And let's, let's, let's get good control over this. Didn't work very well. In fact, the only thing I've ever seen kind of dampen that wild pony is the is the struggle of parenting in life at some time. But in her there is the soul of a wild pony. Mystery scares me. The bigness of real beauty scares me. Real goodness scares me because I want to control it. Now, what does that have to do with the church, the, the, the church that Paul is writing to? in the book of Colossians. What did, what's that got to do with any of that? Well, what happens in our, in our lives, and we do it here at Christ's Covenant as well, is that the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the God that you and I serve is bigger than you can imagine, more mysterious than you can imagine, and wilder in the most holy way I can say that than you can ever imagine. And so what we do is, is we try to control it. We try to control God and make him, uh, we try to create him in our image. And we say, okay, I'm gonna have, and we, and we start looking for the book that has the five steps that are gonna make everything easy and manageable, or I'm gonna go to the right conference. And when I go to this conference, I'll learn the right things and that everything will work. And God will follow my formula and if I follow this book, my kids will turn out perfect. And if I follow this book, my marriage will turn out perfect. And, and I'm gonna add to Jesus whatever I can so that I can get control of this thing. Because he scares me. He's holy. I don't even know what that means when I think of my own life. He loves relentlessly. He's just, he's kind. I, I don't know how to manage. And so I add. I add to the gospel and I add to everything I can. And, and, and what, I, what happens is there's a cheapening as we move other things into the place where Jesus belongs. There's a cheapening of, of the preeminence of Jesus. And that's what was saying in place. Seth did such a good job last week telling you about the, the, the church. and what they had done is they were into Gnosticism, which, which we have our own version of that today. It, it's, when we, it, it's when you add your own experiences and your own knowledge and your special ideas, your, those are the things that you need Jesus and those things to be okay. And Paul was incredibly concerned about that for the church. But it's interesting, in the passage, what he does is he doesn't chastise the wrong things that they're believing at first at first, he reminds them what they're missing by talking about who Jesus is. And in this little section, and, and it's, this has a rich history, um, in this little section, before we had the language of Trinity, this, is, this would be, a theologian might talk about the Christology, this is the theology of Christology, of who is Christ? And it's, it's really a poem It might even have been one of the early hymns of the church, or maybe after this letter, it became an early hymn of the church, but um, it was a reminder of who is Christ. Who is Christ? Who is he that we serve? Don't misunderstand. When you come before this humble table today, when you see a simple meal and a humble savior, don't don't be mistaken. He is the king He is a wild, wild pony, and you and I have been looking for less wild lovers for most of our lives, and he is inviting us into a a love affair with himself that redeems all of creation. I'd just settle for a God I could control. Think about, Seth, a minute ago talked about Mount Sinai and the, and the, the golden calf. What was taking place there? They, they sent Moses up on the mountain, right? He's up for there for how long? Come on. Four to You're right. Thank you. So much for the Bible sword drills of your youth. And they were down there. And what were they seeing on the mountain? They were seeing all sorts of smoke. Yes, they were. They were seeing all sorts of smoke. And they were seeing Storms and, and that's mysterious, and it's big, and it's not predictable. And so what did they do? They built a God they could control. They built a golden calf, something they could look at, something they could control, something that was less wild than a God who somehow is blowing up a mountaintop and making them wait. Because I'd much rather serve a God I control than one who's inviting me to live an adventure that I can't control, but that I can live in. And there we find the church. Well, there we find you and I, the church in Colossians. And and there we need Jesus and we need Jesus plus. We need more than, we need to get control of this. Whenever people find mystery in life and fear, and sorrow, and struggle, they can't explain. They tend to go one or two routes. They tend to go the route of control, I'll control it, I'll control it, or the route of indulgence. The route of indulgence is the, is the route to say, I will, um, I, I, instead of dealing with life on God's terms, I'll deal with it on my terms by escape, indulgence. And that, that's what addictions are. Addiction comes from the Latin word that means to surrender to God's, we are made to worship. You are made by God to worship. And you'll worship something. You'll worship your status. You'll worship, you'll worship something because you are made to worship. And we, and we so often, even you and I, right here, worship a lesser God than the God who has called us his children. That's what sets up this poem that Paul is about to say to the church. Now, I say a poem. It's not, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. Some poems rhyme and some don't. It's a, it's a, it follows a stanza. There's three stanzas, and it follows a pattern. And it's, uh, it's a reminder at the beginning of this book that's going to deal with how we should behave at the end of the book. What we shouldn't worship in a little bit, but before we do, let me remind you why we're here and who he is, because you're coming to his table this morning. and So maybe this poem is for us this morning as well. So if you can, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word, I'm going to be reading from Colossians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 23. And so this is the word of God. He, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That is everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body, of flesh by his death, in order to present you and me, holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has become proclaimed to an all of creation under heaven for which I, Paul have become a minister you be seated. Thank you. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Since that is a poem or a song, I would encourage you this week to just read over it every day and let the words, let the imagery just sink in of who's got and what we're about. A couple of things as we begin. Let's, let's look at this poem together. I've always been told if you want to ruin a poem, break it down and read it, and, and like what I'm about to do. But let's let's stick with me. He is the image of the invisible God. Now notice he uses different language that that speaks to the Genesis one, does it not? We are created in His image. But Paul uses different language here. He doesn't say that Jesus is created in the image of the invisible God. He says Jesus. Is the image. See the difference? See, there was a little debate early on in the, in the early church about whether this, this meant that there was creation and then Jesus was born. And that's not what this says. This, this is not, when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, it is not speaking of birth order, it's speaking of status. We'll get to that in just a second. But the first thing it says is that he's the image of the invisible God. You want to know God? Yeah, I wish I could know God better. You know, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Oh, Jesus is the image that you were fashioned after when it says you were created in his image. It's his image you're created in. Read his word. Listen to the words of Jesus. Read over the gospels over and over again. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. Then it says, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now Let's talk about that for just a minute. Throughout history, what happens in our world is we're always looking for status. Who's most important? Who gets first? Who gets last? Who's, who's better than everybody else? We do all sorts of things to do that. Throughout the Bible, you see that, that theme. The disciples are arguing about who's first, who's first. We've got all through the Bible, brothers are arguing with each other about who gets the rights of the firstborn because the firstborn had the authority. The firstborn had the favor. The firstborn had the ability to make the decisions and to kind of set the agenda for the family from generations on. The firstborn had special status. We are always looking for special status. In our culture, sometimes it's, it's wealth or looks or... And, and then what happens is whatever a group says is status, then everybody kind of picks, says, okay, how do I line up? How do I line up? And so to a culture that understands the firstborn is, is really important in the way they see things. Because we always think, remember the parable Jesus said when he, when he had all the, the workers come and the workers that came at the early of the day and the workers that came right at the end got the same reward and they said, wait a minute, That's not fair. They came first, but God doesn't work on a zero-sum game, That if he blesses one person, that that means somebody else gets less. God sees it much different than that. And so he flips it, and and people, they're they're arguing, so there's this argument about what do we need with Jesus, and he says, Jesus is the firstborn of creation. That's a status He's saying Jesus Christ has the right to set the status. Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the one with the rights, the one with the authority, the one that sets the tone and the agenda. He's the firstborn of all creation. Wow, this table we're about to come to. This table was set, the invitation was given by the firstborn of all of creation. The one with all authority. That's who we come to serve this day. We don't need to add any little bit to that. The enoughness of Jesus Christ. He is enough, for he is everything. Look next. Paul, in just a minute, in the brilliant poem, we'll come back and use that same imagery of firstborn, but it's in a different way. I'll show you in a minute. It's great. Then it says, um, he's a firstborn of all creation. For by, by him, all things were created in heaven and earth. All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thr- thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. All of creation is by him, for him, and for his glory. Just a little side note. We're entering into a very contentious year, a political year in the U.S. And you should be a good citizen, study, vote. Vote for people that you believe will Um, will uphold as closely as possible a Christian worldview. But don't get lost in it. Don't start thinking that your savior is American nationalism or your savior is a, a political party or that you should divide people based on that. Because Jesus Christ, the one we come to this table with today, he has dominion over All of that, of all rulers, all leaders, all countries. He's never the author of evil. But he can take evil and turn it to glory because that's what the firstborn of all creation can do. Because everything was created for and to and by him and through him. And he is preeminent. Above all. So be kind to people this election year. I know people that have quit coming to church because of some things written on Facebook. Someone doesn't have to agree with you completely politically. You're brother in Christ. Saturday night, I mean, sorry, Friday night, I was at an addiction conference. It's one of those moments where what's wrong with this picture? Because there I was on the poster. And the other guy that was speaking, or he was really the headliner, was a guy from the rock band Korn. And he had, if I'd seen him walking down the street, I'd have gone to the other side of the street. I mean, he looks like seven miles of bad road. I mean, he's got, he's got tattoos of tattoos on top of his tattoos. And He is just as different from me as I can imagine. I remember thinking, and no one was there, they were all there to hear him. And I had a 40 minute slot to talk about addiction before he got up and and it was like, when I first walked out, I was like, oh boy, why is this old man standing there? We're here to see corn. He has some theological differences with me. I don't agree with everything he even said up front, but he loves Jesus. He he tears up in the back room we were talking. He started talking about Jesus and he's tearing up. As I walk out, he he and his buddy grab me, um, the way only a good Pentecostal probably could put his arms around me and started praying for the Holy Spirit to speak through me like a wind. And he and I might debate some things someday. But that stuff doesn't really matter because with the preeminence of Christ, that stuff just blows off the back. If you believe that Jesus is the the author, the creator, the sustainer, The image of an invisible God. You're my brother. You're my sister. And the other stuff is not as important as we've made it to be. And the reason we make it important is because it puts us in control and it lets us get status. It lets us put ourselves in status. No, we don't get that right. We're not the firstborn of creation. He gets the right to set up the status. Next. And he is before all things, and in him, listen to this line, listen to this line. And he is before all things, and in him, all things are held together. You know, scientists are telling us that the universe is always expanding. Now, I'm way above my pay grade. You guys are smarter than I'll ever be. But, you know, I, what keeps atoms from blowing up? What keeps, what keeps this world from from expanding out beyond, what's holding this world together? Jesus Christ. Every breath you breathe, every atom in your body, all of creation is being held together by Jesus Christ. Wow. And he invited you to a table calls you sons and daughters. Then the poem shifts. He's about to use the same imagery, so look on verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he's using that same imagery. Who has the authority to set the structure? Who has the authority to set the status who gets to say who's first? Who gets to say who's last? Who's get, who has the authority and the right to speak into the world? Well, he's the firstborn of creation. And now it says he's the firstborn among dead. And that's speaking of his humanity and the incarnation. The idea that Christ is the incarnation of God and he lived as a human being. And therefore he is with the family of the dead. Now, you might say, well, in the Bible, there's other people that are resurrected yet, but they were resurrected just to die later. Jesus was the firstborn of the dead who conquered death. And in that, that gives him the authority as the head of our church. We are part of his body. We are part of, and this beautiful shift that says, not only is he the firstborn of all creation, but he's the firstborn of of the church. He's the head of the church and we are part and invited to be part of that body. So don't add anything to it that doesn't need to be there. Don't make it Jesus plus. Make it Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And why did it dwell? Because through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. When you take the drink and the broken bread, that that symbolizes what he did for you on the cross. And then he invites you to the table to remember. To remember. Remember. To remember that you've been reconciled. You're no longer at war with God, not because of you, not because of your goodness, but because of Him. The blood of His cross. Now, the third stanza of this poem shifts from Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, is the firstborn among dead, and then it shifts to you and I. to remind us of where our place would be without Christ. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, for which I, Paul, have become a minister. This is not talking about losing your salvation. It's talking about switching your hope from the true gospel to a lesser gospel. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. that says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures Fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Listen to this. We are far too easily pleased. Your problem and the problem of the church. There and then and now is that we are so, we're too easily pleased by something lesser than the wild, extravagant, holy, righteous, loving God, the preeminent Jesus Christ. We're so too easily pleased. There's more we could say this week. Reread this over and over. We'll finish the sermon by reading it again. I want you, I want you to worship this preeminent Jesus as you take communion today. It's not an act of service that you do now. It's not just an act of obedience. It's an act of worship of a God who needs nothing from us, who needs nothing added to him. He is a preeminent Jesus. Paul wanted to remind the church that they were choosing a lesser God. and So... Like to read the poem one more time. Finish the sermon. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and And invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him thing, and and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body. The church, he is the beginning. He's the firstborn. He is the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of the cross. The last stanza to you and I and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, me, holy and blameless and above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And all of God's people gathered in this place this day, thinking of the preeminence of Christ, said, amen.